This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets faced the double whammy of two top six sides, succumbing to champions Manchester City and a very classy Chelsea. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome, listeners. We are back. Massive apologies, I'm afraid, for us missing last week's podcast, but after two weeks away... The team is rested, recharged and ready to deliver a bumper episode. And do we have plenty to talk about? Now, joining me as ever is regular panellist and co-host Robbie Brady Baby. Good evening, Robbie. <laughs> Hi, are you all right? <laughs> yes, I'm good, thank you. And also, in what is becoming also a regular panellist and a real treat for us is resident statistician Dave Roberts. Welcome back, Dave. It's good to have you again. Thank you, Natalie. It feels a bit like um, deja vu. It does. Now, listeners, we'll give you a little bit of behind-the-scenes footage right now. This particular recording is now version three because we have had all sorts of technical troubles. I feel like the gods are conspiring against us, I'm afraid, guys, at the moment. They don't want us to record a podcast. They made Robbie and I have to work ridiculously long hours for the past two weeks, so we couldn't get any time in at all. And this week, the technology is is breaking us. But no, listeners, we're going to push our way through. We're going to be mentally strong and we're going to record your podcast this week. A strong jaw. We're going to have a strong jaw. Very true. Robert, Dave, we're going to split the podcast this week into two, I think, because whilst we've got two games to analyse and, and look back on, I think both of them pretty much follow the same blueprint, really. And there's not um, a massive amount different um, to justify talking about them both separately. But there has been quite a lot going on off the pitch and certainly around the club generally and in the community in a whole. So I think just to keep things nice and lighthearted and to keep things positive and in a very, you know, uplifting way, I think we're going to start this podcast by having a look at what's been going on off the pitch before we then move on to look at Chelsea and City and see what we can make of those results. So let's crack on. 
And I'm going to start this week with some team news and some really um, important squad developments. And we were all massively boosted this week by the news and that Defoe and Brady were both not just back in the squad, but both making their first team um, appearances once again. Defoe playing both of those games and Brady being back in time for the Chelsea game. Now, we believe when we listened to Deitch after the game that Brady wasn't actually scheduled to play both games, but he did end up going in there because of... Aaron Lennon being struck down with some illness and that was great news for us but Robbie let's start with you we've we've been bemoaning a lack of creativity for quite some time now so it was a huge boost to have these two back wasn't it yeah as particularly Robbie Brady as well I think he's been out for just under a year now I didn't expect him to play the full 90 like Dyche said he was only planned to play around 70 but I thought he'd come out the game right really well like he didn't look particularly unfit he looked like rusty but and that's kind of expected. But I actually thought he had a decent game, considering we got absolutely battered. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that, to be honest, Robbie. I think I was quite surprised at just how fit he was as well. And it's one of those, really, where we all get really frustrated when it, players take as long as they do to get back into the side. And we, we tend to try and push Deitch, don't we, and, and bemoan his Deitch fit principles. But actually, once you saw Robbie on that pitch on Sunday and, and looking as, as, as fit and as sharp as he did, you almost kind of have to put your hand up in the air and say, oh, yeah, OK, Dutch is right. It was the right thing to do to bring him back slowly. Dave Defoe looked amazing as ever. But actually saying that, one thing I was quite surprised at was seeing just how deep Defoe was playing in the Chelsea game, particularly on Sunday. I thought he was he was almost playing as a centre-half at some points. Yeah, he did play quite a defensive role. But I think that a lot of that was down to um, uh, the way that Chelsea set up and the fact that, Maybe other than the first 10 or 15 minutes, Burnley was struggling to get into the game and uh, and pass the ball around, although he was the one player who uh, was really a, a fairly defensive role. I think going back to the Manchester City game as well, he uh, he played the majority of that match and again, looked good on the ball, but didn't really get too much of a chance to go forward. No, he didn't. And I, But then, you know, you say that and, and you think, well, certainly whilst it was only 1-0 in the Chelsea game, you, you, you kind of feel like you want some extra protection for that defence, don't you? Because whilst it's only 1-0, you're still in that game and you still have a chance to try and get something out of the game, particularly as our defence especially have looked a little bit fragile in recent weeks. It's just a little frustrating that you wait so long for both these players to come back and then unfortunately they both come back in in the weeks that you play City away and, and Chelsea at home where you just know that even if you're playing your absolute A game, you're probably unlikely to, to create many chances or, or get much out of the game anyway. But you know what? It doesn't matter. They're both back now. Bit of a selection headache, I think, for Dyche going forward. Robbie, one of the things we talked about quite a few times in, in previous podcasts was where we thought there would be a casualty in the side. And it turned out on Sunday that it was it was Westwood that got dropped to the bench, which I thought was incredibly harsh given how well he's played recently. Uh, Defoe obviously slotted into that five-man midfield with Hendrick getting the nod instead of, of Vidra in that number 10 role. Were you surprised, happy, frustrated? How did you feel about that? Because obviously we knew that Stephen Defoe had to come back in, but it, with it being Westwood that got dropped and putting Hendrick in there in, in his place. What did you make of that? Uh, I wasn't really surprised because it was a sim- it was the same five that played against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge last season. That were my thought on it. And with Hendrick playing just behind Volks, if we ever did actually go under the cosh, Hendrick can dro- always drop a bit deeper. That's what I thought the game plan was. 
but it didn't really work out, to be honest. No, it didn't. Dave, I saw quite a lot of um, frustration on social media after the game on Sunday with people. People seem to really hate Jeff Hendrick in that number 10 role, and it's massively understandable because he isn't a natural number 10. And, and the most common tweet that I was seeing on our timeline on, on Sunday was, you know, why on earth are you playing a midfielder out of position in a number 10 role that he struggles to play when you bought a number 10 in the summer who's on the bench? So... You know, why didn't, you know, assuming that he is going defensive and trying to go for for a nil-nil, you would hope going forward that it will be Vidra in that role rather than Hendrick, don't you think? I think that must be the plan, yeah. I mean, he's obviously been brought in for that, but I think we've seen with Sean Dyche signings before, sometimes they, they do take time to bed in. And, we you know, we don't see what goes on in, in training as well. So do you think that perhaps he's, he's, he's waiting, he wants him to be ready and, and perhaps a different type of game? might suit that a little bit more. I think the, the point Robin made was um, a valid one in that a, a game where you are expected to be under the cosh a little bit more, Hendrick perhaps fits in better in that role and he's going to come back and do more of the uh, the defending. I don't know whether Vidra is going to be as capable in, uh, in that respect. But uh, yeah, it, it didn't pan out the way we wanted it to. Could have been a lot worse if you'd have gone more gung-ho, had um, Vidrin as a more attacking player behind Sam Vokes we could end up shipping more earlier. I mean, it's it, we obviously we, we conceded four as it was. That's uh, the most Burnley have conceded in a home match under Sean Dyche and the most for uh, for eight years. We had to go back to uh, Reading in 2010 was the last time we'd conceded four goals at home. So that was hard to take. Yeah, I did think that on Sunday, actually, when it was getting to that painful stage. and I was struggling to think about when the last time we'd suffer such a, such a defeat. So let's move on to that then. That's quite a useful link, that thanks, Dave. We know that there seems to be a lack of defensive resilience this season. Uh, you know, not not necessarily in comparison to other teams, but certainly by our own standards. And given that we prided ourselves last season on having such a solid defensive unit and nothing would come past them, we've conceded an awful lot of goals this season. I think we're now on the same amount of goals conceded as Huddersfield at the bottom of the table. And just in the last two games alone, to concede nine and score none is horrendously disappointing. Now, there's all sorts of suggestions from fans and and I text some of the tweets with a pinch of salt on the basis that football's a very emotive sport and fans can often let their disappointment from immediately after a game not necessarily cloud their judgment, but they can often heighten and put some kind of extremity in some views. So, you know, I take some of it with a pinch of salt. But there was a couple of common themes coming out of, of social media. And go back to you, Robbie. The first one was... So many people suggesting that Joe Hart is the problem. But I just, I can't see it myself because you look at the actual goals that we conceded and I can't, I'm struggling to blame him for any of them. And he's making some incredible shot stops. But a lot of people are suggesting that he doesn't have the commanding presence in the box and he isn't vocal enough to organise his defence. What is your view on that? I think it's a lot of nonsense. I always thought that was Tom Heaton's problem as well, so I don't think it really solves anything. But even if you go back to like Joe Hart's Man City days, if you like just go on YouTube, there's loads of footage of him shouting at ball boys to giving the ball back, and so it kind of like just ends that sort of speculation. Yeah, I'm quite surprised to hear you say you always thought that was Tom Heaton's problem. I think the absolute opposite. I always thought that Heaton 
my my view of Eaton's always been that he's quite the opposite. He's really vocal. I think where we sit at turf, we're really close to the, to the box um, in James Hargreaves' lower, and he's forever talking to his defence, telling them where to be. Yeah, I can always hear like Tom Heaton, but I'm just talking in terms of uh, coming to like collecting crosses. And I think if you go back to the first Premier League season under Dutch when we got relegated, we conceded so many goals from corners and crosses into the box. That's sort of what I'm referring yeah. to. Yeah, no, that does make sense. I, was, I thought for a minute you were thinking that he was like really quiet. I was like, um, are you watching a different Tom Heaton to me? Dave, I just, to me... Joe Hart's been one of the massive positives to take from this season so far. I feel like he's nearly back to his best and he's displaying the kind of performances that justified his his England caps and, and all of those, you know, titles that he won. I'm, I think that's a bit harsh, isn't it, to suggest that, that Joe Hart's the problem? Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely uh, harsh. He's been uh, one of our better performers despite the goals that we're shipping, but that can't be put down uh, purely to the uh, to the goalkeeper's performance. I think look at some of the saves that he's made. You know, we could have conceded quite a lot more goals if we hadn't have had uh, Joe Hart in goal. I think going back to the other points that you were talking about regarding um, uh, being vocal, yes, he is vocal. Tom Heaton was very much so as well, Nick Pope less so. I think the one thing we do miss, the one thing we perhaps you know, maybe take a little bit for granted, maybe after last season, is you know being commanding, coming for the ball. He, he doesn't do that. We've we've seen that. Tom Heaton didn't do either quite as much. Nick Pope was you know number one in the division for it last season. For I think high claims was the uh, the stat that the uh, Premier League used. Uh, Nick Pope was number one for that. So you know, he'd come for it, and obviously the. Uh, the height advantage helps, but he was a, a player who would come and command his box, whereas Heaton and perhaps Joe Hart more so would stay back. But that's you know that's the kind of goalkeepers they are. So bearing that in mind, then um, are we all assuming that once Nick Pope is fit, which we expect to be around Christmas time, does he walk straight back into that side? I don't think he walks back into the side, but I think if on on a level playing field. At the start of the season of the three, I'd be tempted to have Nick Pope back in based on last season. But I think you have to look at how things are going with the uh, the team at the time in the middle of the season. It's uh, obviously the manager's shout. Yeah, it's oh, it's a really tough one. I, I, to me, I, I feel like Heaton's massively dropped down the pecking order now and he is definitely number one. Um, sorry, number three. Um, I, I'd have to put Joe Hart in as number two and bring Nick Port back. But it's really, really difficult. What I do want to talk about, though, Dave, and let's stick with you with this one. We clearly do have a weakened resilience in terms of the back five. I mean, we are shipping goals for fun. And this this defence doesn't look as strong as it did last season. And I think the first thing that I wanted to just have a look at, Ben Gibson is nearly fit and that's been a boost off off the pitch. To me... The two centre-halves, me and Tarkovsky, do not look anywhere near as confident as they did last season. They don't even look like they're even speaking to each other at the moment. I would be really tempted to, and I, I hate myself for saying this, but I feel that we need to drop Ben Mee for a while, bring Gibson back in and see how he plays alongside Tarkovsky. Dave, am I going absolutely out of my head or is that a legitimate concern? Um, it's a possibility, I think, to to do that. But again, it all comes down to the balance of the side, doesn't it? And I think that you know there are difficulties at the moment. We shouldn't judge too much on the uh, the last two performances. I'd be tempted to see how it goes for the uh, 
the away games coming up, we've obviously got West Ham and then um, Leicester City have got another international break and uh, see how it goes um, in those two games. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Dave. We can't be, I guess, placing too much emphasis on what's happening against the top six sides because as Dyche rightly put you can have your absolute best game and play out of your skin best football you've ever played in your life and it'd still be really a difficult game and you still get beat quite heavily so who knows um I'm still not convinced about Taylor Robbie I don't know how you feel about this but I was quite pleased with the news that Stephen was recovered from surgery and is coming back because I just we look to me really weak on that left side yeah, I think his experience will be a huge boost. I think on Charlie Taylor, I thought Chelsea was a little bit better than he has been in previous weeks. But it's really hard to criticise him when he has just come into the side and the side aren't playing particularly well. I think hopefully once our form does pick up, he will pick up with it. But we'll have to wait and see, really. Yeah, I, oh God. I mean, it's we're all turning into like major managers, aren't we, these days? <laughs> I think we've all decided that we're all experts and, and clearly everything that, that, that Dutch is doing is wrong and we need to change the formation and we need to change the partnership. And it's very, very, very tough. I, I don't I don't envy Dash and, and I do trust him to know what he's doing, but it just it does certainly feel to me at the moment that there is a a problem in that defence. And I think it's just in terms of, of resilience. And like I say, I, I'm not 100% convinced that Tarki and me are playing particularly well. They were like brothers last season and they were so close-knit and it's just not there this season. It, you know, I watched them a little bit against the Chelsea game and they're not together. They're not talking to each other and they, you know, there just doesn't seem to be a gel there. So let, let's just hope that it's just a one-off and a tough couple of games. So let's move away from the, I guess, team selection and, and, and the ins and outs of the players. And let's look at some really good news that's been going on this week in that we've had, since we were last on air, announced that we have three nominations for awards in this current award season. Nick Pope's been nominated for the Premier League Northwest Player of the Year. And uh, the Burnley FC Ladies player, Sarah Greenhouse, has been nominated for Player of the Year. Now, our own Gemma will be back on in the next couple of weeks to give us more information about that. But also our CEO, Dave Baldwin, has also been nominated. Dave, it's just really nice, isn't it, as a club to see our staff and players recognised across the country for being the peak of their career and, and worthy of, of such accolade. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, Nick Pope had a, a magnificent season last season. He, he, he came into the uh, side when Tom Heaton got injured and you know did marvellously well for the season, enjoyed um, and was a big part of Burnley's uh, success as the season went on and that seventh place finish. So for him to be nominated in the Northwest Football Awards is uh, a real boost for him as he um, he works his way back because he's I believe he's out on the the grass now training. I don't know how far he's going to be away. I think originally they're talking possibly about December, but you know we don't know with these things. They can uh, they can obviously change from from week to week. But you know you know he's 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 on his way back and hopefully we'll. Uh, We'll see him getting some minutes in, uh, in you know, probably, I guess he'll play for the under-23s in some games, perhaps before the year's out, all being well with a view to uh, being ready for the for the first team, you know, before the new year. Yeah, that would certainly be nice, wouldn't it? Robbie, just one final point on our players, certainly off the pitch. This is definitely one for, for you and I, because he happens to be our favourite player. But we were found this week that our boy Sammy was honoured with a new three-year deal at the club to take him to the club until 2021. Around the same time that he made his 100th appearance for the Clarets, 
I mean, a lot of people at the beginning of the season and certainly over the summer were suggesting that he might be on his way out because he maybe couldn't quite cut it anymore in the Premier League. But on the contrary, Robbie, I think Dyche has just said, nope, you are definitely part of my plans and here's a, a fantastic new contract. Good news. Yeah, definitely. It's funny with our strikers in terms of which striker gets linked with moves away because if you go back to the start of last season, it felt like Ashley Barnes was going to be on the way out and then he was obviously our most reliable striker last year. And then going into this summer, you felt like Volks were going to be the one to leave and he's been the one starting most of the games and he's been rewarded with a new contract. So maybe we might be hearing rumours of Chris Wood leaving next. Who knows? <laughs> you know, it's, it's quite interesting you say that actually, Robbie, because the strike force this season has been a really funny one, hasn't it? In that we've not established ourselves yet as having a first choice two. So, you know, when you, you've had the Vings partnership or we had uh, Vokes and Andre Gray, you know, we've always had two players who played really, really well. And it doesn't feel like we've got that at the moment. But I think predominantly we, we seem to be playing four five one quite a lot, which obviously makes it difficult to get that front two pairing. But it's been a complete flip, hasn't it, between what we expected this season. I thought Ashley Barnes was just going to come in and carry on his amazing form from last season. Um, he's not really had much of a sniff yet. And, and Dave... Chris Wood looks like the shadow of himself, doesn't he? Yeah, Chris Wood hasn't had, um, well, too many opportunities. And when he has opportunities, he's not been taking those chances quite as well as he was. I mean, he, he came in on fire last season, didn't he? Scoring uh, goals early in the season. Uh, you know, I think he scored on his uh, debut, scored at um, Wembley, didn't he? And, you know, we, I think there's a lot more to come from Chris Wood. Um, it can be difficult when there's players who are... You know, not getting a, an automatic run in the side and being the first name on the team sheet. John Dyke's having to swap and change his strikers a little bit. Going back to the bad old days where, you know, we, we perhaps only had two or three strikers. You knew who was going to be on the team sheet. We've got um, a lot more to choose from now, but it's... You know, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to uh, to keep them all happy and get a run in the side. Yeah, it really is. I think... I'm a big fan of Chris Wood and from what I've seen him play when he's played really good, I've just been hugely impressed with him. I think one of the problems that Wood is facing at the moment is that he's he's not a striker who plays particularly confidently up front on his own in a 4-5-1 and Dyche insists on playing him up there when we play in that formation and it then gets fans frustrated with him which then falls onto the pitch and it's the same with the Hendrick thing. He becomes a bit of a scapegoat and a lot of fans really hate him at the moment and suggesting that he's an absolute waste of money and I just don't agree. I think he's an absolutely fantastic striker and one that I want to see flourish really well at the club. But we've got to play him in a 4-4-2 with a proper number 10. To me, um, Vidra and Wood together looks like it should be a fantastic partnership on those games where we can play 4-4-2. So maybe the answer at the moment is that it's, you know, it's it's... It's just either Vokes or Barnes when we have to play four five one, and Wood just gets kept behind for when we do get to play um, with, with two up front. Who knows? Let's move on then and start looking at, at the two games that we played. because we've, we've talked a little bit about what's been going on off the pitch and we had a bit of a fanfare running up to the City game in that Joe Hart was honoured by Manchester City um, ahead of that game. It didn't end up really being the debut that he wanted. Unfortunately, we faced a City side who were ruthless, fantastic, irritatingly, annoyingly perfect. And I really, really don't enjoy playing that side. So as we all know now, Clarets fell to a 5-0 loss away from home. It was painful by a lot of standards. And I think one of the 
biggest complaints coming out of the fans who were at the ground were that it was, particularly in the second half, just a complete capitulation by the Clarets and their heads completely went. So, Dave, let's start with you. Deitch has said this week after his post-match interviews that essentially there's not an awful lot you can do about playing the top six sides. You have to play them and they are impossible to play against and you need everything to go your way and even then you might not win. Is that fair? Is there any? Is there actually any point playing these sides anymore? It is difficult. We know it's difficult playing against these um, top six sides and I think we've been unlucky having two uh, matches in, in two weeks and we've obviously felt the brunt of it in terms of the goals we've conceded. Yes, there is a point in, in playing them. It does get Difficult. I think everyone sees that, and um, you know, this season more than any, it's been. I think it's unheard of. After ten matches, looking at the uh, the league table, the top three sides are all three unbeaten. And when you look at the points that they've picked up, that's um, uh, Manchester City, Liverpool, and Chelsea. Those three teams have got more points than all the ten teams in the bottom of the table combined. So that gulf does seem to have extended and and shown itself this season more than any other. So it does seem to be getting more difficult. I, I don't know how we go about changing that. It's it's the same for everyone playing against them. Anyone that can pick up any points at all. Obviously, we got the win against Chelsea last season. A couple of decent results um, at home as well, but. No one was picking up many points against the top six sides, so it's always going to be um, a challenge and, and maybe even going to get more challenging as time goes on. Oh, that's so depressingly true. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I've never been one to agree with the claims that we need a Super League and that the top six sides need to break away and they just need to be the Champions League representatives for the, for England and, and and they just go ahead and do that and the rest of us are left to fight it out. I've never wanted that and I think it's going to kill football. But it's just, it's impossible. It really, really is. I mean, it's just not a, it's not a fair playing field. And then it actually then makes podcasts like this really difficult because you're trying to analyse what went wrong. You're trying to look at what we could have done differently. And it just sounds like you've got sour grapes because you got beat quite heavily and that's not the case. Robbie, let's come to you because one thing I do want to touch is one of the ways we can make this a level playing field is to actually get officials who know what they're doing. And that sounds a little bit <laughs> knee jerk, but it's fair. And we are, of course, all talking about the second City goal. It's bad enough to go 1-0 down away at City because then you pretty much know that you're on an uphill battle from then on. But the minute you go two down, that's it, game over. But the nature of the goal, Robbie. So the run-up to the goal starts. There's so many things going on with this goal that I can't even remember which order it came into. So we've got the City chance. Sonny goes into the box. Cork brings him down. He's obviously either dived for a penalty or it is a penalty. The referee then looks like he's going to blow. All the Burnley players stop to protest. Referee then changes his mind. Everybody goes, what? What the hell? What's going on? We'll either book him for diving or whatever. Burnley defenders completely switch off. Silver then comes back onto the pitch to retrieve a ball that's gone out of play and then gets put into the back of the net. Robbie, just how many things can possibly go wrong in one absolutely ludicrous goal? I have a bit of sympathy for the Burnley players. I actually agree with Sean Dyche on it because... I was I was in the away end and I was right in front of it. When Sane goes down, I saw the referee put the whistle to his mouth and I resigned myself to the penalty being given. I kind of looked away in frustration and then I kind of looked up and then the ball's been put into the top corner. 
So I was confused as uh, I think many fans were as confused as the, as the players and Sean Sean Dyche were going absolutely mental on the touchline. No one really knew what was going on. But then when you see it back, it's it's just baffling because the ball does go out of play, quite obviously, and you just sort of after that. I kind of lost my head after that as well. So, and the players are emotionally involved, so they're obviously going to lose their heads too. So, I, I'm going to have a bit of sympathy with them for once. Yeah, I do too. Um, I very much agree with that. I think when you first watch it in real time, you get a little bit frustrated, and you just think, "God, for God's sake, play to the whistle." But you think, you know what? This isn't it's not Sunday league anymore. You know, the, these guys are quite entitled to feel aggrieved, and they actually expect a better standard of refereeing and, and for the officials to take control of the game and actually understand what's going on. Now, it's then made even worse by the fact, Dave, that the linesman apparently spoke to Joe Hart after the game and apologised and, and admitted that he'd completely switched off and didn't know what was going on. Now, that's just... I'm sorry, I'm going to be harsh, but that's just unacceptable. These are Premier League officials refereeing what's supposedly the greatest league in the world. And I'm not being funny, but Manchester City are probably the best side we've ever seen in this Premier League. They don't need the extra help of a linesman switching off, surely. No, it was one of those bizarre situations. And um, Joe Hart was going ballistic, not just after the second goal had gone in. Obviously, we we then conceded a third goal not long after. Um, and he was having a, a real go at the linesman, and we we kind of wondered what what it, what it was. It was still going back to that second goal because you know, after the game, the linesman apparently admitted that that he switched off. I mean, there's, there's two things, isn't there? The ball's gone out of play. It was reasonably close, but it ha- had gone out of play. But then the player coming back off the pitch is effectively in an offside position. Things like that shouldn't be um, shouldn't be happening in football, and perhaps we do need a little bit of help for the officials. If I'm going to be um, slightly defensive, <laughs> speaking in their defence uh, on this matter, you know, th- there's enough technology out there to to help them on these matters. So for obvious things like that, that's what VAR's made for. Obviously, you know, the Premier League's decided it's not you know too early to do it this season, but I think they need to uh, get their act together and, and get it in for next next season. Yeah, they certainly do. Dave, let's stick with you on on this matter because it wasn't just the the debacle of the second goal that irritated me about the officials' performance, but we we definitely had two really strong shouts for red cards against City players. And you know what, listeners, that's one way that we can even the level the, the playing field. We'll just make City play with nine players because that's what they should have done. Dave, we'll start with you again for the first one. Vincent Company, thirty seconds in, a really reckless high challenge on Aaron Lennon, which leaves him with a three-inch gash in his leg that needed stitches. It was out of control, red card, or was it right to be a booking? Um, it was a poor, poor challenge. I think it was a card. The, the comparison I make was with the game at Chelsea last season. We saw the red card um, for the car- uh, challenge by Gary Cahill, obviously not quite as early in the game, but reasonably early on in the game. The referee brandished a, a red for that. The one from Vincent Company was worse than that. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd tend to agree with that as well. Now, Robbie... <laughs> Does it make any difference that it's only 30 seconds into the game? I don't think it does. I think he has to go. Yeah, he's definitely got to go. Like I said, I was in the away and we were all adamant that it was a red card. And I think it's it's quite easy to be biased on these kind of decisions, but it's it's a it's a storm it's a stormwaller. Like I just don't think there's even any need to analyse it on like in terms of slowing it down. It's quite clearly a red card. And like Sean Dykes likes to say, it changes the whole feel of the game. And for it to be so early on, you know, we could have had a bit more control of it, and but unfortunately not. Yeah, well, okay, well, let's 
leave the early one and let's give the referee a benefit of doubt and thinks he doesn't want to spoil the game 30 seconds in. Much later on in the game, for me, a much more obvious red card was um, Sane's absolute just ridiculous challenge on Matt Lawton, smashes into his legs and completely takes him out of their way. Robbie, same again, red? Yeah, definitely. What makes this more of a red is the fact that I think City are 3-0 up at this point and Sane's completely lost his head. In his defence, Lawton is snatching at his heels like all day but yeah he, he, he just seems to he just seems to lose his head unfortunately yeah it just, i think the the biggest annoying thing for me is that if either you know if lennon, lennon makes that tackle the opposite way around or matt lawton makes a tackle the opposite way around they're, they're red cards so why just the level of protection that these top six players are getting is is it's just beyond comprehension but Never mind. Um, it is what it is, and we got absolutely battered. And yeah, imagine we say that. You know, there's no guarantee we would have got back into the game. If you remember last season away at Chelsea, we uh, we were playing nine nine players in that Chelsea side, and we ended up only just hanging on in the end. So, so you never know. Okay, Robbie. I think one of the the biggest, I guess, disappointments to come out of that City game was there was not one Burnley shot on target. I mean. That's not great, is it? You know, or is that just the problem with having to play a top six side? Yeah, I think it's hard to to judge it when you are away at a place like Man City. I think it was a game where we wanted to rely on set pieces quite a lot, but when it when it's when it is really difficult to get any kind of joy in their final third, uh, you're not really going to create anything. There was only really one clear cut opportunity for us. Not really opportunity, but an opening where Jeff Hendrick got a shot off but it was blocked. And I think that's all we really had to shout about, to be honest, in that game. Mm, yeah, I mean, I think this brings me quite nicely on actually to, to the Chelsea game. And, and I think one of the criticisms, Dave, that we have seen over social media over the weekend, and, and let's be honest here, fans are frustrated. They've had two back-to-back games against size that they didn't expect we would get anything from. But we did still hope that we would you know, steal a point because they're the great ones, aren't they, when you beat City away or you get a point away. But it's been felt by many that the nature of the defeats have been the most disappointing. And I think we saw this on Sunday. I thought it was an absolutely fantastic start. The first 10 minutes or so against Chelsea, we were sharp, we were direct, we were throwing things at the Chelsea goal. And I was like really impressed and really enjoying the football but Dave, the minute the first goal went in, the head seemed to drop, didn't they? Uh, yeah, it was a really good start to the um, uh, the match against Chelsea. Burnley, you know, passing the ball around well, creating chances, going at it as you you would hope the team would. But yeah, I mean, the, both games actually mirrored each other to some extent in that although Burnley didn't play that well, they were still in the game. You know, we were a, a goal down at half time in in both matches. Um, but what we did see was that in the second half, you know, the second goal went in, obviously, under controversial circumstances at Manchester City. But in both games, you know, once the second goal went in, it was kind of um, the floodgates open, which was something we didn't really see too much of last season. I think perhaps there was only Tottenham at home. They they won comfortably 3-0 and could have scored more. And then perhaps the um, the game at the Emirates late on last season against Arsenal were the times where you know we were you know really soundly beaten, whereas we've seen that you know several times already this season. So I guess that's one of the uh, the one one of the main worries, one of the things we need to uh, cut out going forward. Yeah, we certainly do. Robbie, do you share that view? I was pretty frustrated on Sunday. It felt to me like once the goal had gone in, that there was no no fight left in in this side. And 
and that's just not what we're used to seeing from this Burnley side. Yeah, I got that feeling from the crowd as well. There was very little belief coming from everyone, really, which is really unusual. I think we've, we're so used to seeing a Burnley team always fight to the end, a side that never knows when it's beaten. And even I, at 1-0, like, lost my belief. I didn't, I couldn't really be bothered, to be honest. And it just felt like a guess of how many it was going to be. It's very hard, isn't it? It, it is really hard. And... It's hard for fans to to get behind the players and 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 really support them and try and, and keep the chins up when they are getting so heavily beaten and and I think Dyche summarised it really well when he said that once they get their noses in front that's it you you're never going to claw it back it's they've got control of the game and that's kind of what we did last season so we can't really complain about it when Burnley went one goal ahead last season that was it you would very rarely take it off us because we were so resilient I, I want to. Just stick with you, Robbie, on this bit because I saw quite an interesting tweet on Saturday from somebody who shall remain unnamed because I think it's quite controversial. But actually, I really, I really see where he's getting at when he says this. People are questioning the mental strength of this side and suggesting that the resilience of last season just isn't there. And one of the reasons for that has been suggested that Deitch might be to blame in his selection process for the European games. And... The tweet in question basically said, look, how do you think these players feel? They worked their absolute backsides off last season, had an incredible end to the season, got us into Europe, and then a lot of them didn't get to play. Now, he then went on to say, would you want to play for Deitch? And that's not something that's crossed my mind at all. But when I read the tweet, I did think, oh, there might be something in that. What? What Does that ring any bells with you or does that strike you as being particularly intriguing i think i had the exact same reaction as you because i saw the tweet and read it and to an extent i i kind of saw where it was coming from it, it's it's really hard to say but when you do watch this burnley team at the moment it does look like a team not playing for the manager and i'm hoping that isn't true but we're so far away from what we have been in, not even from last year or even two years ago it's just a, a completely different end of the spectrum in terms of what we're, what our identity is. We don't seem to have that personality, which we seem to usually have. And I think the next two weeks are going to be hugely important to see whether we still have that strength and to see whether the, this, this side is still behind the manager and stuff. I think we do. I'd be very surprised. I mean, I wasn't... It was just interesting when I read that tweet and it really gave me a bit of food for thought more than anything. And and I, I don't think it's necessarily the case because I, I believe in this squad and I believe, you know, they can't go from being so tight-knit as a squad and playing, literally throwing their bodies on the line for this manager to just throw the, sorry, spit the dummies out of the pram just because they didn't get to play in Europe. I don't believe that that's the case. I think they're too tight. I just think there's, there's, there's clearly something wrong. There's clearly something not quite gelled in this team yet. And it may even be that it lasts all season. We might just have to ride it out, get to the end of the season and see what happened. Some people are suggesting that we might just need to get to January and see what we can do in the transfer window, bring in a bit of cover, give a few players a bit of rest and and try and, and, and build again. It just surprised me, that's all, when I saw it. And I, and I think the suggestion that these players aren't playing for the manager surprised me and I 
don't necessarily think I agree, but I think there was some, it wasn't just a, I guess what I'm getting at is it wasn't just a hyperbole reaction and people saying, oh, Dutch is also dressing room. There were some sound logic behind it. And I just wanted to, to throw it out there. Dave, anything else for you that came out of the City game? Sorry, the Chelsea game, apart from the fancy new screen, of course, which is all very exciting. I'm sadly not in a position where I can see it that well. But I think from my notes of the game, it felt like there wasn't really anything of note to talk about from the Chelsea game on Sunday. It just felt like it was over pretty quickly and we didn't really contribute an awful lot, did we? No, I think it's one of those we've got to put behind us now firmly. You know, we've got to concentrate on the, on the next game. We've obviously got a couple of away games coming up. We, we can't read too much into our season against um, you know the likes of Manchester City and Chelsea, you know, once in a blue moon, we are going to take points, you know, get get the odd win against them. But we know when you look at all the, the performances, all the results that the other teams um, outside the, t- the the big six, the so-called big six, have, you know, you're not going to rely on that. What we have to do is make sure we're getting points against the teams around us. I think if we're getting beat three and four nil by uh, Newcastle or Huddersfield, then, uh, then we should start worrying. But looking at the other teams, you know, everyone's... Struggling down the bottom, you, like, I think even most of the teams in the bottom half aren't even averaging uh, a, a point a game. So it's it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I think you know it's it's one of those things we have to ride out. And I think if we can get a decent performance at the London Stadium, obviously on the back of a, a really good result we had there last season, that's going to stand us in good stead. Indeed. Well, let's have a look at these next games then, because we're going to bounce back at the weekend. We are going down to. Olympic Stadium to face West Ham, which was last season a game of much controversy because, of course, this fixture last year was the one that saw the West Ham fans writing on the pitch and uh, the Burnley players stormed through to a victory. Dave, you have, as ever, been looking ahead at the game. and Talk us through the head-to-head stats. Uh, yeah, looking at the uh, previous match against West Ham, we've had a bit of a, a chequered history against them. We've picked up uh, nine wins historically, uh, seven draws, um, but have suffered 27 defeats uh, down at West Ham over the years. That's obviously at the uh, old bowling ground and then more recently at the London Stadium. I think in terms of the results we've had, like some of the other ones we've looked at previously this season, when we've, we've looked at the previous uh, sides we've been playing, we've had some fits and starts. We've had uh, West Ham, the first eight visits we had down there in the early days, we didn't win any of them away victories in the 1930s but we have had one or two decent results in between going back to 1947 uh, there was an emphatic 5-0 away win we managed to uh, beat West Ham 5-0 and get promotion back to the uh, the first division but I don't think there'll be too many Burnley fans around who will uh, will remember that that's obviously uh, over 70 years ago now um, going back to more recent times um, we've had a couple of wins. We we beat them in December 2011. Uh, Chris McCann and Sam Vokes actually scored on uh, on that occasion. Burnley won 2-1. Sam Vokes was still on loan from Wolves at the time. He scored, I think, two uh, goals for Burnley in that spell. And this was the uh, the second time that he'd scored for Burnley and then obviously joined us the following season. Um, and then we, you know, we've talked about the uh, the win last season, convincing in the end, 3-0 win, Ashley Barnes scored and uh, two from Chris Wood. I love it. That's a nice positive summary. I like it. It's a very succinct summary is that, Dave. We're going to win. We win, we win. Sam Vox is going to score. I literally, I heard all of that and I just heard Sam Vox and, and a 3-0 win. 
because <laughs> my, my it's like my ears were tuned in to, to pick up on just the positive news. That's all I want to hear these days. You skimmed over the twenty-seven defeats. I'm, I'm no, Dave. <laughs> we don't need to worry about that. They're in the past. History is history for a reason. Twenty-seven defeats. We don't want to worry about those because we're not going to make it twenty-eight on Saturday. So, Dave, those are obviously fantastic head-to-head stats. Moving away from. The books, what's your gut instinct on Saturday? How do you think we'll do? It's difficult, isn't it? We don't really want to lose. I think Burnley, you know, a win would be fantastic, but away wins aren't easy to get anywhere in the Premier League, even against the uh, the so-called lesser teams in the division. Um, so if, you, if you're picking up draws, they are decent results away from home, but you take your wins where you can get them. So one thing I would say about Saturday is that West Ham seem to be weak in midfield. They've got one or two injury problems and... Uh, Mark Noble's suspended after being sent off last week. So that might be something that Burnley can take advantage of. We've obviously got relative strength in midfield, I think, with the players coming back in. Uh, West Ham are the opposite. So I think uh, the midfield battles, if we can win those, um, maybe get a little bit more service to the front players, then that might serve as well on uh, on Saturday. So I essentially just heard then that we're going to win. That's essentially what you're saying to me. It is. Uh, Robert... We know that it's going to be a challenge. It's still West Ham. You know, they've they've had a difficult few seasons themselves. But I'm feeling really confident about Saturday. I feel like we can go ahead and get a win. How do you feel? Yeah, I feel a little bit confident. And I don't like to say that we're going to win. So I'm just going to say we're going to get beat. 2-0. Excellent. So, listeners, I'm not basically listening to what anybody else says. We're going to win. We're going to win. I think that's probably going to wrap up where we get to in terms of match analysis too. Similar games in the end. I don't think there was an awful lot to, to talk about from the Chelsea game. But, um, obviously, we had quite a few talking points in the City game, but two games that very much followed the same blueprint, I'm afraid, and both ended in heavy defeat for the Clarets. I do believe in this side, and I do believe that Dyche will put right whatever's wrong. It just might take a little bit of time. Um, and I expect us to bounce back over the weekend and, and with a victory down at um, at the Olympic Park. Now, before we do move on this week, just to wrap up, there's a couple of um, Burnley FC in the community points that I want to um, run past you all. I think the first one is, um, most of you will have seen on social media, that a couple of weeks ago, businesses across the town slept out at Turf Moor to um, raise some money for local charities and the weather conditions were absolutely horrendous and now it was an event that the non never team had intended to to enter ourselves but unfortunately work commitments meant we couldn't make it um, and I did promise the guys I would give them a shout out on the, the podcast if you want to donate to the charities who are raising money the sleep out has now been done but those guys did incredible things and they've raised a phenomenal amount of money so far. If you head to the Burnley in the Community Twitter page, you will be able to find a link of of where you can donate to help them. I also promised Andrew Frost that I would give them a shout out. They are hosting a charity sportsman's dinner on the 23rd of November at Turf Moor. Stan Turner's going to be there to basically give a speech and a talk about his time at Burnley. And they are raising money for the Princess Trust. And if you head to Andrew Frost's Twitter handle, which is at Frosty90, you will find plenty of details there. And I'm sure that will be an absolutely fantastic night if you want to support them. So that is everything for this week, listeners. And it's 
been a challenging few weeks in terms of analysing Burnley performances and results, but we're all in this together. And our job here is to talk about key points and to press issues and to analyse the good and the bad. And, and sometimes it can feel difficult when there are negative things that we have to talk about. But it's a long season and we have plenty of games left. We have a very strong side who will play for the badge, who are in this together, who will play for the manager. We've got a fantastic manager who knows what he's doing. This is just a difficult spell and we have been through them before. We will go through them again. And I fully expect by the end of the season, we'll still be a Premier League side and we'll basically look back on everything we've learned this season and be stronger. And that's that's for all of us. Thank you this week, as ever, go to our producer, Matt, for editing together this week's podcast and turning it into the the slick production at the end. Thank you, Matt. Um, Our thanks to Robert and to Dave for joining me in the studio and passing on their analysis. But our thanks, as ever, go to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this podcast. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. The next few weeks, we will be looking ahead at the West Ham game and the Leicester game away, which is sure to be an incredibly emotional game and uh, following the tragic tragic events this weekend so we will be previewing those games and we'll also be welcoming back Gemma Avery to the show to give us the rundown of the women's game with hopefully a representative from Burnley FC Women's as well who's going to come and talk to us about the work they're doing there. Coming up after that, we have a very exciting episode where Chris Borden from the Burnley Express will be joining us for a podcast to give his views on the current Burnley side. And I can now announce excitedly that we will shortly be recording a one-off special where we will be having the Paddy and Predator, Burnley legend Andy Payton, will be on the show talking about his time at Burnley, what he's been up to after he left the club and his hopes for this current Burnley side. So listeners, watch out for all of those and do not miss it. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known Enough podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.